Welcome to Shoreline City. We're thrilled to have you here with us. My name is Earl. Uh, my wife and I started this church just about to be seven years ago uh, in January, and it's been a wonderful journey, and we've gotten to meet so many amazing people, and this church family continues to grow, and I just want you to know we're really, really glad that you're here. We've been praying for you uh, to come and hoping uh, that you would feel right at home. So even if the songs were new for you and the environment might be new, uh, just know you're, you're not new to our hearts. We feel like we already know you because we've been praying for you. So thank you for being here with us today. And I know some folks, they jumped up out of the bed this morning, fired up about church, could not wait uh, to be here. And we love you guys. But I also know there's people that just kind of roll out of the bed and, uh, you know, barely made it here. And it can take a lot of courage to come to a place, uh, whether you're a first-time guest or you just haven't been to church for a while, but you, you, you took the step and you came. And yesterday I was praying uh, for today's services and feeling like uh, there's some folks uh, that will be here today that are just feeling like they're in quicksand, uh, feeling like you're, you're sinking slowly. And the harder you try to get out, uh, the more you seem to sink. And I just want you to know today's a day where God's extending his arm of grace towards you and he's going to pull you up out of that pit and put your feet on a firm foundation. You are not forgotten about. But for all of us today, I believe that God's going to do something great in our hearts and in our lives. You guys with me on that? You ready for a good time? Hey, let's go. I'll go to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. We're going to read verses 22 through 25. Luke chapter 2, verses 22 through 25. If you didn't bring your Bible, put the scripture on the screen so that you can follow along with us. And I want to say the Lord loves all of you so much because you're here when the Cowboys are about to play. So I am incredibly proud of you and everyone that skipped church today to go to that game. You know where they're going. Uh, <laughs> to the game, y'all, to the game. <laughs> Luke chapter 2, verses 22 through 25. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him, they took Jesus to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought it in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms praise God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. I, I can die now. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. A sword will pierce your own soul 
the title of today's message is the wait was worth it the wait was worth it uh, one of the individuals from the last service that I, I, I should name this uh, sermon uh, hammer time you'll understand that maybe later uh, this passage of scripture is a beautiful one. Those of us who were with us uh, last week, you'll remember uh, that we were going through uh, verses 36 and following. We were looking at the life of Anna. So here we're in Luke chapter 2 again, and these are the verses that uh, precede, obviously, that story of Anna and this man, Simeon. We discover in, in verse 22 um, that this, it came time for the, the time for purification came around. And, and this might be a little bit out of the ordinary for us, but uh, in Christ's day, this would not have been weird. After a woman gave birth, uh, she was unclean for seven days, if you will. We don't have time to go into the, the, the reason behind that, but according to Levitical law, she was unclean. And then there was another 33-day period, and after that time, there were some rites of purification that the woman would walk through. Maybe the husband uh, maybe got defiled, if you will, during that time as well. So he had to uh, get cleaned up. But Jesus, uh, being the firstborn male uh, in a Jewish family, his parents now are doing for him what Jews would do for their children. And they're bringing him to the temple. Right off the bat here when I'm reading this, uh, it jumps off the page at me that Jesus' parents brought him to church at the very beginning. And I was thinking, how many of us have great parents that did that for us? I mean, parents that from the very beginning said, hey, I don't care. You're waking up this Sunday morning. You're coming to church with me. And how many of us have had parents that have spoken words of life and hope and purpose over us? How many of us have had parents that have encouraged us to be all that God has called us to be? How many of us even have parents that have celebrated us with eighth place ribbons and have said we're still the fastest and the best? Number of us have had those kind of parents, but a number of us haven't. Others of us have had parents that did not make sure we woke up and went to they did not make sure we had life spoken into us. They did not ensure that we were in an environment or an incubator of growth and development. Maybe our parents are our worst example. Someone we look at and we're thankful for them, but we don't want to be like them. What I have discovered uh, in being a pastor is I don't care if you're 25 or 65, your parents have had some impact on your life. I don't care where you're from, how much money you have, whether it's a lot or a little, your parents and my parents have impacted us and marked us in some way. And here you see Jesus, his parents are marking him. They're trying to put him on this, this straight and narrow path if you will. And many of us did not get that. We did not have a mom or a grandmother or a grandfather that, that gave us that beginning. But I want to make this abundantly clear. Your past is not what dictates your future. Where you have been in your past is not, your past does not get the final say in who you are. God gets that. No one else gets that. God gets that. And I'm thankful for our parents, and they are to be honored, okay? I want to make that clear. 
I want us to honor our parents. Not because some of us are like, well, they don't deserve it. You don't give honor because they deserve it. You honor because it's right. Okay? So we, we honor our parents, but we also don't have to worship them. We don't have to take every single word our parents have spoken over us and declare that that must be the word of God. No, there's only one word of God. It's the inspired scripture. It's the Bible that we have in our hands. And if anything your parents said to you contradicts what scripture says over you, I'm telling you, scripture has the final say. Okay, here, look look with me at this verse. Philippians chapter 3, Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, uh, verses 4 and 6, the Apostle Paul is writing. He says, though I myself have reasons for such confidence, if someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day uh, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. He's saying, hey, I've got a pedigree. I've got a resume, and it's a strong one. In regards to the law, I was a Pharisee. As for zeal, I was persecuting the church. Now, that was the wrong thing for me to do because I was tearing down the very thing Jesus came to build. But regardless, you know that I was a zealous person, full of passion and fire. As for righteousness, based on the law, I was faultless. You could not find anything wrong with what I was doing. But then I look back on my life and I see some things that I wish I would have done differently. I wish I wouldn't have been persecuting the church. I wish I wouldn't have been tearing down what Jesus came to establish and build. But all of that's a part of my past. It's a part of my story My parents started me off right. We see Jesus' parents, they started him off right, but maybe yours didn't. But what does the Apostle Paul even do with the good and the bad that's in his past? You have to go down to verse number 12 through 14. He says, though I myself, no, I'm sorry. He says, not that I've already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, but one thing I do, but one thing I do, forgetting, 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 forgetting what is behind, straining toward what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. I hear the apostle Paul saying, I've got some stuff in my past, some good, some bad. But one thing I do, I forget. I forget what's behind me. Now, you and I read that and we think, well, that's good for Paul. But can you and I really forget anything? I mean, other than our keys or our wallet? (laughs) Can you and I really forget anything? And, 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 and another way to look at this word forget is, is to replace it with the word neglect or overlook. He's saying I, I'm neglecting my past. I'm overlooking it. I'm walking past it. I, uh, we have uh, uh, three fantastic uh, children. One of them was just up here, you know, singing a moment ago. She's adorable. Uh, but we, our, our middle son, he, he wanted a pet, and we're not doing pets, okay? So I'm like, I, I already got three children. 
Or do I need a pet as well? But we, we, we used to actually used to have a pet. We used to have a dog, a little Bichon Frise. Um, I wanted a pit, but not. I wanted a Rottweiler is what I wanted. Uh, and then we ended up the exact opposite spectrum of, of that with this really small, white, fluffy dog <laughs> named Annie. That was her name. Her name was Annie. And someone stole her. I'm not kidding, y'all. Someone, st- someone stole a Bichon Frise. How bad a human being are you to steal a Bichon Frise? Anyway, that, that's, I'm still, I, I got to let that go. Earl, let that go. Earl, neglect that. Earl, neglect it. <laughs> so we got, we got a fish. We got a fish. And we got this little fish. I think it was a goldfish. And Grayson's pumped up about the goldfish. And I'm thinking, this goldfish, he's come to our house to die. You ain't going to last, goldfish, okay? My son's six. (laughs) I know he's awesome. He's amazing. But this goldfish is not going to last. And sure enough, I don't know if it was five days. I don't know if it was 15 days. I don't know. But we're leaving for work one day, and there's Sonic. That's what we named him, Sonic. <laughs> Look into the heavens. <laughs> he had gone from this life into the next. And I don't know exactly what happened, but... I. But I'm thinking Grayson wasn't feeding him enough, or maybe Grayson fed him way too much. I don't know. But it made me wonder, are you feeding your past and starving your future? Are you taking all the nutrients and energy and time you have and feeding, oh, this is what my dad did to me. Oh, this is what my mom did to me. Oh, this is what happened to me when I was eight. Oh, this is what happened to me when I was in college. Oh, this is what happened to me when I was in grade school. Or oh, this is what my grand, this is what that coach said. And we keep feeding and feeding and feeding the past. And I understand that it happened, but I wonder, are you, are you feeding that at the expense of your future? Are you feeding that at the expense of where God is trying to take you? Are you feeding that at the expense of the purpose and the destiny that he put on your life are you feeding your past starving your future because the apostle paul here says i'm forgetting what what's behind why because i'm straining toward what's ahead because god has some things in store for my life I'm not trying to neglect the brokenness. I'm not trying to neglect the abuse or or rather I'm not trying to say it did not happen, but I just want to neglect it. I want to put it aside. I want to put it behind me. I want to keep overlooking that, not at the expense of your soul being broken, but I think we're spending so much time wallowing and rehearsing and living this past that we're not getting our eyes up and we're thinking about where God is trying to take us and what he has in store for us you are your your past is not the thing that defines you yeah it helps shape you i get that it does it does definitely helps shape you but it is not the end all be all of your future but people will try to tell you that they'll try to chain you to who you used to be they'll try to chain you to your abuse if you let them If you let them, they'll try to chain you to who you used to be. 
They're trying to chain you to, to the brokenness that you've experienced. And I'm just trying to help you. I'm just trying to help you and I to know that even if your parents did great or they didn't do so great, regardless, you're not chained to that past. This is the last thing I'm done with parents stuff. I'm done with parents stuff, okay, because this is holiday weekend. So, but some of us are about to go home to some drama. Drama's on a plane right now headed to Dallas. <laughs> your, uh, your parents, um, they give context to your personality, right? They, they definitely do. Um, but, I, but I also want you to understand that, that even though they give context to your personality, uh, they don't control. They don't control your destiny. So I might see why you are the way you are and why you eat the way you eat and why you drive the way you drive and why you maybe like the music that you like. I might, I might see all that with your personality. I, I get that. No problem. They might give context for those things. But they are not the final answer. And they do not have the final say on what God put on the inside of you. His word and his scripture is what speaks that over your life. So bankruptcy does not have the final word. Neither does addiction have the final word. Neither does a promiscuous life have the final word. None of those things. Being in the foster care system does not have the final word for you. Even, uh, we, you know, we get this whole heaven and earth offering that we're doing, and, and part of our resources are going towards uh, these young kids that are about to graduate or age out of, rather, the foster care system, and because uh, a lot of them don't have parents to go back to. Many of them can have a reason to say, hey, my life's going to be broken. We're trying to speak and be another voice uh, like so many others saying, hey, don't, don't let that, don't let your past have the final word in your life. God has something in store for you. But that's just in the beginning here. We see Jesus' parents doing, doing, doing right by him. But if you skip down a, a, a little bit more in verse 24, you, you, see, you see these words. You see, and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. This is where uh, you and I get some context that Jesus' parents were probably poor. Um, that does not mean that it's bad to have money or money is evil in and of itself. Money actually just takes on the nature of the person that's holding it. So money's amoral. If you're stingy, your money will be stingy. If you're generous, your money will be generous. That's just what money just takes on the nature of who's holding it. But, but Christ's parents are probably poor. Why? Why do we say that? It's because they, they were allowed, they were given this concession to bring these items, and these were concessions given to those who did not have a lot of means. But them not having a lot of means did not stop them from sacrificing. Them having a, not having a lot of means did not stop them from sacrificing. They didn't use their situation as an excuse not to sacrifice. tell you this every blessing every blessing requires sacrifice every blessing every blessing requires every 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 blessing requires sacrifice i understand we understand the sacrifice when we're broke we understand that sacrifice you know it's like oh i can't go out because i'm broke you know uh chips and salsa for me 
and water and no guac because I know it's extra. So just I'm fine with this right here. We, we understand those sacrifices, but there are sacrifices connected to blessing. And if you don't understand this, if you don't mature and understand this, if you and I think that there's no sacrifice connected to the blessing, we will sabotage the blessing. We will not care for it properly and will lose the blessing because we don't understand what's connected with it. So when I see Mary and Joseph here and they're bringing a sacrifice because they have been blessed with a child, I'm praying that we would be the type of men and women that would do the exact same thing. If If you want the blessing of a boyfriend or a girlfriend, you want that blessing, but, but you don't want to uh, sacrifice your selfishness, then you're, you're not stewarding. You're not caring for your blessing the way that you ought to. You will have to sacrifice if you want to handle that blessing. If you say, oh, man, man I want to have, have a great marriage, and you get blessed with a marriage, but you don't make the necessary sacrifices for that marriage, two great people can turn into two spiteful, mean, hateful individuals before you even know it. Seen it happen over and over again. And still come to church and be mean and angry and bitter because they don't want to make the sacrifices necessary to have to handle to steward the blessing. Oh man, God bless me with a promotion. God bless me with a promotion. Okay, if you get a promotion, you want to go from just being on the team to leading the team. There's some sacrifices that come with that blessing. If you still want to be the one everybody likes and you want to be the one that's chummy and buddy with everyone and you don't want to lead, you want to be really familiar, but you don't want to lead, you don't want to shift your mindset from an individual contributor to somebody that's actually pushing the organization forward. If you don't want to shift your mindset, you'll sabotage your blessing. I'm trying to help us here, okay? I'm I'm trying to help us not just at church on Sunday. I want to help you on Tuesday, Wednesday at work. You you got to be ready to make that shift. Oh, God, bless me with a healthy church, a life-giving church, a church that's growing. That's what I want to be a part of, a church that's seeing people give their hearts to you. Okay, if you want to be blessed with being a part of a healthy church, you'll have to sacrifice your personal convenience. That's what happens. Man, these people are sitting so close to me. I wish I had like... Dang. Give me some space here. Look at these lines. Look at these cars. And Oh, I thought you were praying for a church that looked like heaven. I thought you were praying for a church that wasn't about the preacher but was about Jesus. I thought you were praying for a church that was about reaching lost people. I thought you were praying for a church that's trying to raise up leaders. That's, I thought you were praying for that. If you want it, if you want it, you want the blessing? want the blessing, then there's just some sacrifice that's connected to it. Whenever, you know, I, I used to want to be, a, you know, NBA basketball player when I was growing up. You know, it's most of the kids in, in my neighborhood wanted to be that. I also wanted to be president and an astronaut. Uh, but with being a, a wanting to be a basketball player, I, I, hey, I'm off great, go, wonderful. Do you, do you understand the sacrifice that's connected with that blessing? 
Oh, man, I want to I wanna have lots of influence. Do you understand the sacrifice to your anonymity? Do you understand the sacrifice that you'll have to make that you can't just go wherever you want to, wherever you want to go, and expect people not to interrupt your meal? It just changes. It's a blessing, but there's a sacrifice that's connected to it. Can God trust you to give the sacrifice when he gives the blessing? Can he trust you? Can he trust you to give the sacrifice when he gives the blessing? Because I know we're praying for the blessing, but can he trust you? Can he trust you? He can trust Mary and Joseph. Can he trust you? Uh, okay, I know we got a lot of, uh, again, every week we got p- folks that are here for the first time. Lo- love you being here. Glad you're here. Let me just talk to those who, like, oh, Shoreline's my church. Yeah, let me talk to you for just for a quick second, okay? So you're the first-time guest, earmuffs. Um, if, if when you receive $100, that blessing, you don't know what it is to sacrifice the $10. You will not have the strength, the leadership, the capacity, the wisdom that you need, the oomph that you need to give $10,000 when he gives you 100000 And if you and I keep praying for blessings, but we're not ready for the sacrifice that comes with the blessing. I ask you, are you actually ready for the blessing? Because if you cannot learn now to be faithful with what he has in your hands, if you can't learn now when you might be struggling a little bit to trust him, then when he gives you more, you'll worship what he gave you instead of understanding that, uh, instead of worshiping the one who gave it to you. This is free. I'm trying to help you here. I'm trying to make sure there's no other gods on the throne of your heart other than God Almighty. No one else needs to be number one in your life other than the Lord Almighty. That's who wants to have that rightful place in your life. So, man, I want, man, I want the blessing. I want, do you want the sacrifice that comes along with the blessing? This, this, it, it, it grows you. It matures you. It develops you. It helps you become who God it's calling you uh, to be. Yes, there is a football game on, so let me just keep on preaching here, okay? I see some of you looking at your phone right now. I see you. I see you. Verse 25, verse 25. We only have 17 more verses to go. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout, He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting. He was righteous and devout. He was waiting. He was righteous and devout and waiting. We think if I'm righteous and I'm doing the right things, then I don't have to wait. But here we find out from this man right here, he's in right standing with God, and he's doing the right things, 
and he still has to wait. You and I do the right things to get out of waiting. Right? Look at me. I'm doing this. I'm do- look, Lord, look what I'm doing. 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 Give me my husband. Lord, look what I'm doing. Give me my wife. Lord, do- look what I'm doing. Take my company to the next level. Look, look, look. And then we stop doing what's right because we get upset that God has not done what we've asked him to do because we've been doing what's right for so long and we think he owes us something. I'm talking we here. This is me. I'm in this with you. I'm in this with you. You and I over and over and over again. Take the promises of God and forget that there is an in-between time to that thing being fulfilled. You ever gone uh, to coffee with someone and uh, you're going to meet them at 2 o'clock and uh, you, for whatever reason, show up early. You get there at 1.50 like you're supposed to. So you get there at 1.50 because if you're on time, you're late. Any military people with me on that one? So uh, anyway, uh, so, so you, you, 2 o'clock, you show up at 150. You're there at 150. You're like, okay, great. Got here early. Got a good spot. Ready to go. And it's 155. They're not here yet. But you're like, hey, no problem. I'm early. It's still early. And then it's 202. Pull out your phone. They didn't text you. So you're like, ah, 202. They're not that late. 204, and they're still not there. Those two minutes, those are brutal two minutes right there. In those two minutes, you're wondering, did they die? Are they? Oh, my gosh, they're dead. They're dead. Just two minutes. (laughs) In two minutes, you, oh, you're checking your email. You're checking your text. In two minutes, you, well, it's 204. 207? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, no, they didn't. They always do this. I can't stand them. This is the last time I'm going out to eat with them. You're either, you're one of two friends. You're either the one that's sitting there waiting or you're the friend that's always late, right? They show up. Oh, my, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I couldn't find my keys. And I was... You'll learn. You tell that friend 130. That's what you tell that friend. <laughs> and that's, they're only seven minutes late. And you and I are feeling disrespected, feeling like it always happens. That's only seven minutes. What about when you've been waiting seven years? For God to do something in your life when you've been through in vitro multiple times, when you've tried to start multiple companies, when you've gone out there and you put out multiple uh, books, when you've, you've taken step after step and things aren't clicking the way you want them to click, you put out resume after resume. God, you're late. You're late. You're late. And this is just a very real tension that a lot of followers of Christ have to live with. And I need you to understand that being righteous and devout, we don't get to circumvent this. You just have to go through it. I don't have some magic wand for you. Like, oh, you won't feel disappointed. No, there is no magic wand. It's I feel disappointed, but I trust you anyway. 
I feel forgotten, but I'm not forgotten. I feel like you're silent, but I know you're still for me, okay? So I know what I'm feeling, but I also know what's true, okay? And this is, this is maturity here. This is you and I growing and becoming who God is calling us to be. He uses this as a process to pull out of us the junk that needs to be pulled out of us and to help us become who he's calling us to be. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm literally, this is my last piece. My last piece. I'm all done. Last piece right here. My last piece is this. My last piece is this. Okay, I got to watch the game too. My last piece is this. He, he gets this little fat baby Jesus in his arms. That's how I see him anyway. And, and he gets Jesus with his rolls in, in his arms. He's holding him. He's like, oh, my goodness. And he speaks this word of prophecy, this word of life over Jesus. It's beautiful and amazing and powerful. And when I'm reading the words that he's speaking about Jesus, I can't help but think Jesus is the ultimate game changer. The ultimate game changer. The one that if you put him on the team, you're winning the championship. It's done deal. Finish. Put it in the books. It's done. He is the ultimate game changer. But since it's the holidays, since it's Christmas, I was thinking, man, what? Do, do people even know why Jesus came? Because he is a game changer, but, but what game is he changing? I've got three verses. Three verses, we're all done. Three verses. Look at these quick verses. Look at these. Look at these. First Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. Why, why did he come? Why did Jesus come? Here it is. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. You can take this to the bank. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That's why he came into the world, to save sinners. I love this verse. I didn't put the rest of it on here, but he says, and I'm the worst. I'm the chief. I'm the head of all the sinners. He came into the world to save sinners, not to make bad people good. He came into the world to save sinners, not so that Christians can go to church on Sunday. He came into the world to save sinners. Every person that's missed the mark, every person that hasn't measured up to the perfection that God would call us to, he came in to save sinners. So if you feel like you are a sinner Jesus did not come to put shame on you he came to save you and those are two very different things so many people are thinking he came to put shame he came to put shame I feel guilty I feel condemned no my friends he didn't you're, you're already guilty okay when you are separated from God you're already guilty the good news is Jesus saying hey I've taken your sin and your shame and I put it on myself now I have paid the price for you and you can be made right with God forever came to save sinners so how big a sinner how big of a sinner are you? It doesn't even matter. Because he came to save sinners. Not, not like little sinners. Medium sinners and big sinners and those who did it on accident. No, he came even for sinners who did it on purpose. Come on, you know the stuff you did on purpose. I don't know, man. We just, I don't know. We just kind of, no, 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 no. You drove in your car. You put on your cologne, okay? Come on. That was on purpose. I didn't, I didn't know. I didn't know it was going to go there. I, I just didn't. Save sinners. 
save sinners. John chapter 10, verse number 10. The thief comes, the devil comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come. He says it, Jesus is saying, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. That's why he came. He came that you might have life and have it to the full. I know we go through problems and pains as Christians, just like the rest of the world. I understand that. But man, sometimes I look at our faces and it's like the world is ending. Everything is over and there is no hope. And understand that we are we don't mourn like those who have no hope. We have hope. His name is Jesus and he has come to give us life and life to the fullest. This does not mean you and I are going to be rich per se, okay? Whatever that really means, because in America, just so you know, compared to most of the world, we're already really, really rich. So I don't even know what we mean by that. So don't try to take this and like, oh, I'm just going to be whatever that is. No, this is a soul issue. This is a spirit issue. This goes beneath the service. And yes, that can bubble in to our everyday material world. But really, this comes down to the fact that whether you are in some Syrian refugee camp or you you are in Highland Park when you give your life to Jesus. He came to give you life and life to the fullest. Your soul goes from dead to alive. Last verse. I almost did not share this verse because I thought it was a little gangster. But 1 John 3, 8. The reason the Son of God appeared, why, why did the Son of God come? Was to destroy the devil's work. <laughs> I was, I read that one, I wrestled with it. I know if you'd be ready, but you're ready. To destroy the devil's work, because we have a picture of Jesus, he's like on the cross. Will you accept me? Accept me into your heart, please. I'm a little bunny. I'm a bunny. I'm a bunny. Don't you want a bunny? Don't you want a bunny hopping around your little heart? What? No, no, my friends. I appreciate your artistic rendering of Jesus, but it's inaccurate. He came to destroy the devil's works. He, he came in like a flood. He came in with a fist he came in with a sword he came in with fire he came in with tenacity he came in with passion he came in with power he came in to destroy the works of the devil he came in to wreck it ralph to everything that sin and shame and darkness he came in to destroy suicide he came in to destroy cancer he came in to destroy loss he came in to destroy bitterness he came in to destroy dissension he came in to destroy the devil's work so wherever you see the devil working, you can say, Jesus came to destroy that. That's not supposed to be in my family. That's not supposed to be in my house. That's not supposed to be on my job. That's not supposed to be in my mind. He came to destroy the devil's work. You guys are making me preach harder than I want to right now. He came to destroy 
the devil's work. So what is it? What is it you're battling? What's, what, are you, what are you going to be facing with your family this week? You came to destroy the devil's work. It's the good news of Jesus Christ. Okay, you, you can be seated, friends. You can, you can be seated. Why did he come? Why did he come? Hey, I, the verses are right there. That's right from the Bible. I don't have to like kind of, mm, let me figure this one out. Nope. The Bible interpreted this one for us. Made it very, very clear. So everywhere you and I see the devil's work, we are now the hands and feet of our glorious Savior. Accomplishing and continuing his work to make it on earth as it is in heaven. That's our call and mandate. I don't care if you're in a cubicle. I don't care if you're in government. I don't care what realm of society you might find yourself in. That's our mandate. That's our call. If you wouldn't mind, friends, do me a favor. Bow your heads just for a moment. You're here today under the sound of my voice. You've never given your heart and your life to Christ. You've never made him number one. You've never made him first. You've never made him boss of your life. Put another way, you would say you're on the driver's seat of your car. Jesus is not. You're here today. You're saying you don't want to go your own way anymore. You want to go his way. You don't want to be first in your life anymore. You want Christ to be first. I'm not asking, do you have a Bible? I'm not asking, were you confirmed as a child or even if you were baptized? I'm asking, is Jesus on the throne of your heart? Is he number one in your life? Have you surrendered your life to him? The Bible uses words like born again and repent. All means, Jesus, you have my every. So if you're here today, you've never given your heart and your life to Christ. Or at one point in time you did and you slipped away, you're just on another path right now. You're saying you don't want to go on your own path anymore. You're ready to get on his path. I'm going to ask you to do something simple but something incredibly bold. On the count of three, I literally want you to shoot your hand in the air and say, yes, that is me. I want to give my heart. I want to give my life to Christ. Ready? One, two, three. Just shoot your hand in the air. You're saying, yes, that's me. Hands going up all over this place. Individuals saying, I want to put Christ first in my life. I don't want to go my own way anymore. I want to go his way beautiful moment moment of transformation a new beginning who else wants to get in on this prayer you're saying yes that's me you're wrestling in your heart right now i just want you to know that's his grace calling you that's his grace pulling you you're not even good enough to save yourself that's him knocking on the door of your heart right now he's calling you and calling you home i'm gonna ask everyone in this place to do me a favor every person put your hand over your heart if you would not mind now i want you to repeat this prayer out loud after me say dear jesus i ask you to forgive me of all my sins, I admit I've made mistakes. And today, I give you my heart. I give you my life. Give me the power to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Let's lift our heads up and clap our hands with enthusiasm for this.